Eczema and food allergies are definitely related, but maybe not in the way you think. Join us today for part two of the eczema episode, where we answer our listeners' questions, your questions on all things eczema. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hello, and welcome to the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Alice Hoyt, joined today by my friend and food allergy mama, Pam Lestage. Hello, Pam. Hello, Dr. Hoyt. How are you today? I am better than I deserve. How are you? I am so good. So excited about today's part two of this eczema episode. We have tons of amazing questions to get answered today. Oh my gosh. Right. And I was very happy with how part one turned out. And I know, me too. I've heard back from listeners. They're very excited about it too. Yes. I think it's such uh, a interesting topic, first of all. And for someone who's living in the moment and trying to find all the answers and has all have all of these questions, I think it's so good to have it all kind of like compressed enough where you're giving them enough information mm-hmm. that they can then kind of seek out and know the right path for them to continue yes. their own research. And I think that is so important when trying to get good evidence-based information. So oh gosh, this right? is so good. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I have found from what friends and subscribers are are telling me is that it's a very shareable episode too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and maybe your kiddo, y'all have gotten through eczema or you don't have a whole lot of eczema issues right now, but you know, one of your good friends is really going through stuff, like share the episodes with them. Um, Absolutely. Because yeah, we're just getting such awesome feedback. And of course, definitely y'all sign up for our food allergy and kiddo newsletter, that's where these questions came from. As we mm-hmm. asked our newsletter subscribers, you know, what do you want to know about eczema and links to food allergy or anything eczema? And that's where these questions came from. Yeah. And that's how we can also come up with more awesome episodes mm-hmm. because we want to give you what you're looking for. Dr. Hoyt and I live this life every day, me as a mama and you as a doctor. And so it's easy sometimes for us to forget the beginnings of all of this Mm -hmm. um, and what it is that people are really needing. So definitely send us your questions and, or your concerns and we can see what we can do about it. Oh my gosh. I love that, Pam. So let's go ahead and just dive right into these awesome questions. Yes. So This time I'm going to actually read some of these questions because these are questions um, that are a little more technical, I guess, Mm -hmm. from eczema as opposed to me wanting to learn more about eczema myself. Mm -hmm. So these are kind of from people who are actually living with the eczema. Um, So the first question that we got from a listener was, if you, Dr. Hoyt, have any thoughts on the introduction of probiotic or pre prebiotic supplements as a therapy or a treatment to food allergies and eczema. 
So that is such a good question. <laughs> and sort of the long, the, the short answer is that we don't have a whole lot of really great data to really support that right now. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't do it? No. What that means is that you should talk with your dermatologist, your pediatric allergist about what specifically they recommend for your kiddo. Where the studies are going um, is is really that there can be benefit. And we talked about... um, we talked a little bit about microbiome and, and and some about treatment and sort of how eczema happens and all of that mm-hmm. um, in the first episode. So definitely go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened to that episode yet. But you might be wondering, well, what does bacteria have to do with eczema and, and how does that like what's the connection there? Mm-hmm. Well, bacteria live on our skin and bacteria live in our gut and bacteria are constantly, these microorganisms are constantly, um, I think of it as, as a waltz. They're constantly dancing with our immune systems, um, for better or for worse and having good bacteria. When I say good bacteria, that that's all relative, like a good bacteria on the skin might not necessarily be um, a bacteria that's good to be elsewhere in the body, but Mm -hmm. having good bacteria, Um, on the skin, having good bacteria in the gut really help keep the immune system happy. And the skin is the largest immune organ. And so we want the immune system to be happy. Um, Probiotics and prebiotics, they are different. Um, Probiotic is the actual like living microorganism. Um, And the prebiotic is the sort of like the food for the probiotic. (laughs) Um, That's how I think about in my very simple-minded terms. Um, So even though we don't know um, what exact probiotic or prebiotic we should use and for what exact period of time we should use, and and a lot of studies are, are, are sort of showing that if, if, when we are better able to identify what a a specific child's, um, what the ratio of like good bacteria to bad bacteria is, then what can be more specific about introducing good bacteria and the things that feed those good bacteria to help them overcome whatever sort of the bad bacteria is with, with going on in that kiddo's skin or in the kiddo's gut um, and, and kind of go from there. So this is a very exciting area of research not just for eczema, but also for food allergy, because I mentioned mm-hmm. these bacteria in our gut too, right? So we we want to help keep our immune system happy. And this is, um, I don't know if you want to call it an indirect way or a, a direct way, but it is a way that we can try to improve and make our immune systems happier. And really it it goes to you know, when you say talk to your allergist dermatologist, because if it's something they recommend, or you started giving your child a, a, you know, a probiotic or a prebiotic, and you see that something is improving, then, you know, why not keep at it? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. it can't hurt. So it can only help or just keep, you know, your kiddos tummy happy. So that's really interesting. My kids, yeah, my kids take probiotics. They have for for years and years. Um, we do too. It, it keeps our bellies happy. My daughter happens to have a food allergy. So we go with that. Yeah. Probiotics have really come a long way. 
Um, and I haven't seen really any cases of, of where it can be harmful. Um, I always, you know, I say I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. (laughs) Um, so talk with your allergist or your dermatologist, but yeah, it's always great to have specific, know exactly why you were giving your child a specific medication. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up here was since we're talking a little bit about like bacteria and I don't want to go off too much on the microbiome panel, (laughs) but I will say one of the um, very commonly recommended treatments for uh, for eczema, specifically for flaring eczema, are bleach baths. I don't think I talked about that a lot last time. No, you didn't at um, all. Okay. So it sounds really scary, right? You're like, yeah, my eyes are really bath. wide. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Okay. So a bleach bath, and we'll put a link to I'll I'll put a link, um, on the blog post for, for this, but a bleach bath is not, it's not all bleeds. It's just like a couple capfuls of bleach and, or I'll put the specific (laughs) measurement too for the big bathtub. So you put a little bit of bleach in the big bathtub and, um, and then your kiddo takes a bath in it and it's not sterilizing the skin. It is not that much bleach It's not Mm -hmm. sterilizing the skin. What is happening is that Leach baths in these studies have been shown to help restore a happy microbiome. So help promote an environment that good bacteria like, and that the staff bacteria don't so much like. So I just wanted to bring that up here. Um, because if anyone's ever heard about bleach baths, yes, it sounds scary, but it goes back to that whole microbiome and good bacteria versus bad bacteria. Awesome. That's so cool. And just to go back about my kids taking probiotics, there are reasons why my kids take probiotics. So we didn't just like pop them in their mouth. So just, no, no, for our listeners, for our listeners, because you did say, you know, speak to your doctor and just for our listeners to know, we did speak to our doctors. There are reasons why they take them, but it works for their (laughs) bellies. Um, and for ours too. Okay. So that's very interesting, especially this bleach bath. I, right? I did not know about that. Um, <laughs> the second question that we got was speaking about medication, specifically low dose steroids, um, using those on hot spots, and also um, how long a patient can use Zyrtec on a on a daily basis. I guess I guess they're using it to treat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to come back to okay. the Zyrtec. Let me answer the low-dose steroids first. Okay. So low-dose steroids are typically like a 1% hydrocortisone, maybe a 2.5% hydrocortisone. Um, most physicians prefer topical steroids to be in the form of an ointment as opposed to a cream um, because the ointments, they're just more pure as okay. opposed to the creams and they just have more junk in them. Um, also like they're they're stickier and they're thicker and we like thick emollient-esque things mm-hmm. when we're dealing with eczema. We really want to promote that barrier. Just like in the last episode, Pam, I remember being like, oh, I could see this. Like I could see Yeah, barrier. like that wall. Yes, yes. Um, so how long can you use those medications though? So if you're having a hot spot then, or your kid is having a hot spot, then yes, you can absolutely use that, that low dose and that might be enough to knock it out. But really, if it's not, then that's when you want your allergist or your dermatologist to have given you a very clear plan for when to step up therapy to use a more potent topical steroid. Because what that's trying to do is really trying to decrease the inflammation that's going on at that hot spot. 
But again, there's two things that we do when we're trying to get eczema under controlled, decrease inflammation and increase Increase hydration. Yes. Yes. So when you're dealing with those hot spots, do not give all the glory to the topical steroids. Right. You got to also optimize that, that hydration. So it's talk with your allergist. Absolutely. So talk mm-hmm. with your allergist or dermatologist about what your specific eczema care plan is. I mean, when when mamas come in and dads come in and we're talking about a kid's eczema, and I ask what medications they have, like we get very in the weeds about when exactly do you use what medication. And one of my goals is that when when that family walks out of my practice that they have, if they didn't already before, that they have a very, very clear plan of when to use which exact medication Mm -hmm. and what their bathing regimen is. Do they need bleach baths? If so, how often? How do they pat dry the baby Don't Mm -hmm. when they get out of the bathtub? What emollient they're using, how often they're applying it, making sure that childcare isn't like, in the weed stuff, Pam. Right, like right. this question is so important um, because it really highlights how important it is to have that plan. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you don't want to keep putting steroids on, right? Um, because steroids can thin the skin, and that's why you you, you there's some steroids that you really don't want to put on the face, on the genitals, um, because they can they can cause a lot of a lot of damage to that very delicate skin. And so we really want to limit the use of steroids. And that's why mm-hmm. there's also non-steroidal medications that have come out in the last few years. Um, some older medications that that really work really great for kids. Um, but we also can't forget that hydration component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then were you going to talk more about steroids or did you want me to go to Zyrtec? I was going to go to Zyrtec. I go to Zyrtec. Okay. <laughs> so then <laughs> the Zyrtec, Zyrtec is a second generation, long acting, um, non-sedating ish mm-hmm. antihistamine. It's not actually, uh, doesn't actually carry a non-sedating label, um, as opposed to like Allegra or Claritin. Mm-hmm. Um, but Zyrtec is less sedating than is Benadryl. Right, which is a first generation. We really, none of my patients are, are ever advised to give Benadryl. It just, it's, it doesn't, it, it, it it's kind of like old school. Brain. It is old school. And yeah. like, not all old school is bad school. But sure. in this case, the medication, uh, diphenhydramine, it crosses the blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. That's why people get groggy on it. But it does not permit REM sleep. So that's why people feel crummy when they wake up mm-hmm. after taking Benadryl. Um, but Benadryl is short acting. And that that's a really big side effect, crossing blood-brain barrier. Like nobody wants their kid taking something that's like yeah. crossing their and all and affecting their mentation, right? No. Right. Not right. when there are these other medications right. that work so much better in the correct clinical setting. So the question <laughs> is. Is eczema the correct clinical setting for an antihistamine? Yes. Huh. Well, in most cases, it's really not. It's okay. really not. We do not find that antihistamines do a whole lot to help calm, soothe the itch that comes with eczema. Okay. Um, Benadryl will 
help put your child to sleep despite them itching and being miserable from their eczema, but Mm -hmm. that is not helping the eczema. That is that blood brain barrier side effect of the medication. So what we really have to focus on is healing that skin so that that sweet child is no longer itching, which can drive people bonkers. Itching can drive people crazy. And so that that child is also no longer in pain because also when, when we're babies and kids and when we're asleep, if we have an itch, we're going to scratch it. Well, as we talked about in the first episode, that itch scratch cycle, damaging the skin barrier more because you're scratching the inflamed skin, introducing more bacteria, predisposing to infection or worsening the microbiome, which then worsens the flare, blah, 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 right? It's a cycle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we really need to decrease inflammation and increase hydration. And really in many cases, an antihistamine doesn't play a whole lot of a role there. Am I going to say it never plays a role? No, because every child is different. Mm-hmm. And this is where you talk with your allergist and, mm-hmm. and, or, and your dermatologist. But, but the question was, <laughs> can you take Zyrtec every day? You can take Zyrtec every day for a really long time. Yeah. Like I wonder years. if, if people, um, maybe thought that antihistamines would help with the eczema because sometimes when you have like hives or mm-hmm. just a rash, sometimes mm-hmm. a doctor will say, you know, take a little eczema your, or eczema, I'm sorry, take a little Zyrtec, some your you. rash will, you know, get better or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And so I wonder if people who maybe don't have that education yet about eczema attribute mm-hmm. eczema to a rash. And so they think that mm-hmm. it will help in, in a very kind and, and thoughtful mm-hmm. way, but maybe just misinformed. So see, that's another thing I didn't right. know. That's, that's awesome. Right. Not awesome, but that's, it's awesome for people to mm-hmm. get this information because especially early in your journey as an eczema parent, you may not know the difference between right. an eczema rash and just hives, itchiness that could yeah. be helped by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Well, the other thing I'll say here is that it all comes back to the pathophysiology, oh. right? So it all comes like back husband's. to, <laughs> I know, right? So it all comes back to what is causing the symptoms, right? And when you're dealing with hives, red raised itchy bumps, those are coming from mast cells degranulating, mm-hmm. histamine actually coming out of mast cells. And there absolutely are conditions like chronic spontaneous urticaria and angioedema where people randomly have hives and swelling for like no apparent reason. Very frustrating, but totally treatable. You should see an allergist. It's not a food allergy, but see an allergist. Mm-hmm. So when people have that, we absolutely use antihistamines because their little mast cells are spewing out a bunch of histamine. And so we got a poo-poo on that histamine. We do that with good antihistamines, not Benadryl. But in the case of eczema, it's a different immune stimulation, right? It's the damaged skin barriers, the immune system revved up in different ways. And so even though mast cells absolutely are, are there in the skin and they are, they play a role in eczema, it's not, it's, it's not the, the crux of the story. And so we really need to focus on improving the skin barrier. And we do that by Decreasing inflammation and increasing increasing. hydration. Yes. 
t-shirts made. I know. Let's make get t-shirts. <laughs> Decrease inflammation, increase hydration. And we are those ladies. <laughs> um, okay. It. So we're talking about itchiness. So one of our next questions is what helps when kiddos get that itchiness around the neck? What can mm-hmm. you do for that? And a lot of times this is younger kiddos and kiddos who could be teething. So they're having more drooling. Mm. Um, We talked a little bit about like the drooly rash. Is that eczema or is that drool rash? And it it could be either, Um, or it could be that, that the drooling and just the, the irritation from the saliva is flaring the eczema. And then like all that just kind of like saliva moisture, it just kind of sits. Yeah. Especially if they have a passy sometimes that can just really irritate this very delicate skin. I mean, this is a lot of times, especially when we're talking about um, eczema, it's a lot of times in the earlier years, there are absolutely people who have atopic dermatitis who are 20s, 30, older, older, they're adults, they're grown Mm -hmm. adults, they're grown senior, senior people. Um, But when we're talking about food allergies and eczema, a lot of times we're talking about younger kiddos. And when we're talking about the, the next stuff, that's, typically the younger kiddos, because they're just, you know, they have all those cute little fat rolls Mm, and just all that stuff. So um, in that case, again, you want to decrease inflammation, increase hydration. It's got to be the right kind of hydration though, Mm -hmm. right? Like not just saliva. You want to like clear that off. Also, typically if there's saliva, then there could be like little food particles Mm -hmm. and just causing irritation. So just try to keep it all clean as much as you can. Like I have a toddler. I get it. And, <laughs> and, and, um, make sure for wipes that you are not using any sort of scented perfumed wipe. Had a beautiful little baby come see me the other day. Um, and, uh, one of the, the, the daycares had used some kind of irritating wipes on her little face. It was really yeah. irritating, you know, um, thing. So really, um, I don't have stock in any of these products, nor am I <laughs> endorsed by any of these products. We use water wipes mm-hmm. for, for our kiddo because they're just water. You, yeah. you don't want perfumey. You don't want extra anything. I yeah. mean, if I could just like use a washcloth and water each time, like I would do that, but I don't have that type of time, nor do I have those type of laundry skills, um, as you could attest to. (laughs) We actually, when my daughter was little, she did not have eczema, but she just had very sensitive skin. If we Mm -hmm. used any heavily fragranced Mm -hmm. products on her skin. And I mean, she might be embarrassed, but not really. Um, for the longest time, even, you know, now we have to be very careful with what we mm-hmm. wash our clothes with because yeah. too much fragrance will just one irritate her skin, but also just kind of her allergies a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, just yeah. kind of get in there. So, um, you know, that's definitely something yeah. that we learned very early on, um, that it's not just immune organ. Yeah. That it's not just those kiddos with eczema, it's, you know, it's a lot of kiddos and it, and it can be just as simple as yes, they smell so good in those lotions, but maybe we need to like cut back on those and, yes. and use the ones that don't have fragrance. I think that is so interesting about sort of the difference between rashes and eczema and, and the poor little cute babies with, with a little fat on their little, mm-hmm. their little necks and how we need to protect that with keeping it dry and using the right type of moisture on their little skin so mm-hmm. that we're not 
um, causing that excess itchiness on their, on their cute little skins. And I'm going to say it again, like I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. Talk to your allergist because sometimes kiddos just like in the diaper area can get a little bit of yeast. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can get a little bit of yeast under their neck too. And so if that's the case, sometimes it can be just uh, changing the skincare, but sometimes they need a little bit of a topical medicine to help kind of get those yeasts away. Right. Right. Well, Dr. Hoyt, we're at the last one, but this one's a little longer. So, so I need full attention. All right. (laughs) Okay. So the reader or not the, well, the reader and the listener says, I have read about a theory about how the body can develop tolerance or sensitivity to differently, depending on its early exposures to substances. For example, if the substance enters a break in the skin due to eczema versus ingested and digested into the gut. Can you please go over your thoughts about this? Hi there. This is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering food allergy office hours for parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. Absolutely. So this, the the question here really is how does sensitization occur? How does the body start, how and why does the body start making allergic antibodies Mm -hmm. to the food? Does it have to do with how the food is introduced to the immune system? That's coming back to how and why are certain people sensitized to certain foods? And we don't really know. It's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that you can become sensitized through the skin. You can become sensitized through the gut. But all the other, everything that goes into becoming sensitized is what we need to learn a lot more about. Because when I say becoming sensitized, what I mean is developing allergic antibodies. So developing IgE to peanut. Mm-hmm. Is that happening through the skin? It can. Is that happening through the gut? It can. Does the um, does does how somebody becomes sensitized, whether through the skin or through the gut, does that determine whether or not they're more or less likely to become or be allergic to a food. These are all amazing questions that our wonderful food allergy researchers need to continue studying because it all comes back to the microbiome, right? It all comes back to the skin barrier, the gut. And I I want people to, to think about this is when you swallow a food The food is in your esophagus, it's down in your stomach, but it's not really technically within you yet, right? Like it's still exterior to, to, to your, your organs, to your circulatory system, to all of that, because it hasn't been, it hasn't really been broken down and absorbed 
and directly exposed to sort of that, the inner immune system. So it's only been exposed to the immune system of the GI tract, also the respiratory tract, if we're thinking about like pollens and stuff like that, um, or it's been absorbed to the immune system of the skin. So I think it's an amazing question. I wish I had the answer to that question. Um, I think the question was mostly for me to opine. So I hope I, <laughs> I opined enough. Um, and basically saying that, um, yeah, sensitization can happen a lot of ways and, and we need to know more about that and more about the whole pathway of sensitization so that we can help prevent that from occurring because it all comes back to the immune system going rogue too, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is no helpful reason that I know of to be allergic to a peanut right, or a pollen or a penicillin. I think that's, you know, why I would assume as food allergists, your field is incredibly interesting because Mm -hmm. y'all are still trying to find answers to this very, um, for lack of a better word, weird, um, disease, Mm -hmm. but as parents, (laughs) um, that it's frustrating. It's frustrating Uh that there are no answers and that, we're basically a living experiment. It, it feels like sometimes, you know, this, not, not an experiment, but, you know, just the process of trying to find out, you know, why are these kiddos being born with these allergies or these skin disorders? Mm-hmm. Um, why are adults getting adult onset food allergies and things like that? Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, as, right. I, I I can see it kind of, you know, through both eyes where it's very frustrating that I can't just give my kid a pill and say, here, you're better. Yeah. Um, as a person who enjoys reading and speaking about the research that is going on there and, um, and, and seeing how many allergists and professionals and scientists are out there studying how to figure this out um, is kind of fascinating as well. So, you know, I definitely see both sides of it. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's just an interesting world of, of allergies. I love my job. Some of yeah. my colleagues, when I told them I was just going to do food allergy, they're like, really? And I'm like, yes, all I want to do is food allergies. There's like, so much. There's so much, there's so there's much, so much. That's the other thing. Like, and, and it's not the same to general allergists who, who can do all the things, but my brain, I, 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 I just, I, lo- I love food allergy. I love working with the families, being able to really focus in and and stay up to date as much as possible. It's, yes. And know. everybody's different. I think it's uh-huh. what, you know, you and I always go back to and, and why we always say we're giving evidence-based information, but you need to speak to your allergist because mm-hmm. every case is so different. And yeah. one person's food allergy is not the other person's. Right. And you and I have talked about so many cases where it, seems essentially the same, but it goes completely different directions. So, you know, with food allergy and with your kiddo's eczema, definitely, you know, I I just can't stress that enough. It's just so important for you to go see your, your personal Mm -hmm. doctor to get 
all of the answers. And and if you're new here, you might say, oh, well, you have a doctor right here on the phone with you. Um, Yes, I do. I'm very blessed to have Dr. Hoyt, Um, but she is not our allergist. And we actually go see our allergist every year. We've talked about that in different episodes. Um, I do have the benefit of being able to bounce off questions from her, but, or off of her, but we definitely see our own allergies. So please do that. Yes. No, that's so important. Um, Pam, I've loved this episode. Me too. You know, I think but it's what's so, so helpful. What's so interesting and like, sort of in like this whole closing of everything, what just keeps coming to mind is like, you know, eczema in this, this last question about sensitization and you know, eczema definitely is a risk factor for food allergy, yeah. but there are definitely kids with raging eczema that don't have food allergies. And there's, there are definitely kids with lots of food allergies that don't have eczema. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back to this very insightful question about how is sensitization occurring and how do we, you know, how do we manage skincare and food introduction and just, just all the things. And I have really loved Thank you. If you sent in a question, thank mm-hmm. you very much. I have, I very much enjoyed answering these questions today. And of course, talk with your allergist about the information that you've heard on this episode and sign up for our no- newsletter, go to foodallergyandkiddo.com, sign up for your newsletter. Um, Cause we send out this new le- newsletter regularly. I'm not going to say weekly, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we don't send a lot of junk. Like, no, it's all something. very good information. Yeah, because if we're going to spend time writing an email, it's because it's important stuff. Yes, and definitely follow us on Instagram as well. We mm-hmm. have a lovely face or Instagram page that I believe is under your At practice. Hoyt food allergy. Yes, yes, because this podcast is sponsored by the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Yes. Um, no, sign up for the newsletter. Um, send us your questions. And just thanks so much for listening today. And Pam, thanks so much for for posing these questions and having this delightful conversation. Of course, anytime. That's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned on this episode and visit us at foodallergyandyourkiddo.com where you can submit your family's questions. God bless you. And God bless your family.